Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, a heartfelt thank you to all of our followers, both here in the United States and uh, internationally. It is a pleasure to be able to uh, do this on a weekly basis and to communicate, whether that's uh, talking to people, FaceTiming, doing Zoom calls, emailing, texting, um, have you guys come out uh, from different parts of the, uh, of the country and different states and different parts of the world for me to do uh, neuropsychival, and I, I really appreciate the faith and the confidence and the trust that um, you guys have placed uh, in, 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 in myself in, in doing this program and uh, in Julie as well. So I like when I get... Uh, you know, I kind of have my mind, as you, as you guys who follow us, my mind uh, goes in a million different directions. Uh, but I'm trying to stay more focused as we approach each week uh, with, with a specific topic. But I like when I get, um, like, kind of like, you know, do that kind of the Q&A stuff. Uh, because it's stuff you guys want to hear about. And it's also stuff that I think is incredibly relevant. And I'm going to revisit the topic that I did a couple of years ago, I think right when I started the podcast, of, of cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, this term is thrown around all the time. I need CBT. Get CBT. Do you do CBT? Uh, and at face value, it's like people just kind of uh, associate CBT with just psychotherapy. That's not necessarily uh, a fair comparison because cognitive behavioral therapy is something that I was uh, very grateful to be very well trained in doing. I just don't do much of it anymore. Primarily, I treat borderline personality from a cognitive behavioral perspective, um, which is very different than other modalities, whether that's gestalt therapy or uh Multimodal therapy. That was the work of uh, Arnold Lazarus. Um, you know, psychoanalysis is completely different and is the antithesis of what cognitive behavioral therapy is. But, uh, you know, so many people have reached out about wanting to get into therapy or are in therapy or are questioning if the therapy they're getting is what they need for whatever they're, you know, reporting is is their problem so um this i just want to take this opportunity to kind of you know go into more detail about really the etiology and the and the origins of this and back in you know freud i i i'm not a freudian by any means but i have a lot of respect because he was the first person to come up with a psychological explanation of human behavior uh, I think many of his theories are really don't have validity. Uh, they're not really grounded in in science. Uh, and but you know at that time you know again like I said they'll, they'll look back in you know two hundred years and say what we're doing now is archaic. Um, but you know Freud was really the first person. You know, I think that his model of the defense mechanisms is very relevant. But you know psychoanalysis uh, is really about um, solving your current problems by 
resolving past childhood conflicts or traumas. And that's at a very basic level. It's much more in-depth than that. And if you want to really read and understand, uh, it's a few, got to be 2,000 pages. I remember reading this in grad school. It's the discovery of the unconscious. That, that's probably the, the, the best book I could would recommend. Um, if you wanted to learn more and know more about, uh, you know, Freudian psychology. Um, so back in Vienna, the Freud, um, I think it was it was Adler, and I don't remember who was if it was might have been Carl Jung and one or two others. They would they would meet on Wednesdays. Uh, it, was, it was called the Wednesday Night Circle, and Freud was obviously the you know the prominent figure at that time, and these were these were individuals who were psychiatrists, um, and it came to a point where Adler uh, disagreed with Freud, which really was a very controversial time in the field that we currently practice because Freud's whole model was based on the id, the ego, and the superego, and the and the uh, perpetual conflicts between these three inanimate uh, constructs competing against one another, and that we are driven by unconscious um, drives. And it was Adler who postulated that there, the unconscious is not something that drives us, and it's not something that is necessarily tangible, is not, is not real, it's something that I've brought up. Uh, multiple times throughout the podcast that I do not believe in the unconscious or the subconscious. We are not we are not driven by uh, this this inanimate uh, part of ourselves because it doesn't exist. And uh, things are you know Beck's work and 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 he was really the one who developed cognitive behavioral you know the founder of really cognitive behavioral therapy. And I was very fortunate to be trained by. Students who were, you know, work directly with him. Uh, so I have a good understanding of how CBT works. But it was Adler who first, you know, disengaged from Freud. And uh, his son, Kurt Adler, said his, you know, his father's work is um, the economy of cognitive therapy is, is the close approximation of his father's work. Now, cognitive behavioral therapy is. Um, you you can look it up online. There's there's many textbooks. Uh, the work I, I like Robert Leahy. Uh, he's a you know a, a strict cognitive behavioral uh, psychologist, and you know CBT is again like I said it's a term that's thrown around quite a bit, but it it's a very systematic approach, and this is why I'm uh, an avid. Um, opponent of dialectical behavioral therapy because in doing cognitive behavioral therapy, emotions really have no part. And there's something called the cognitive triad. And if you change your thoughts, you change your behaviors, the emotions will change. If you change your behaviors, you change your thoughts, the emotions will change. So that that's the power of the model. But at at a, at a at a more basic level, it's really about reshaping the way that we think of things. Um, everything starts with a thought. Uh, 
thoughts then lead to behaviors and behaviors then lead to emotions. Now, in terms of the applicability of this, uh, the research has consistently shown that cognitive behavioral therapy, psychotropic medication in conjunction is the most efficacious form of intervention for the vast majority of disorders in the in the DSM five, um, Julie's with me, and we we you know kind of last week when I was doing intermittent explosive disorder, we kind of did kind of a, a, a give and take, and wanted to try and you know see if that we can you know kind of recreate that because Julie was also trained in cognitive therapy, but also in dialectical behavioral therapy, um, and when. People enter therapy because something hurts. Something is not working. Um, you know, I know a lot of, at least I like the personality disorders. I know from talking with so many people, you guys like the personality disorders, borderline, um, narcissism. Those are, those are the fun ones to talk about uh, because there's many, many, many more people out there with these disorders uh, than, the, than the prevalence rates in the DSM. Uh, provide. But, you know, cognitions, our thoughts are really our own. And it, it, you have to ask yourself the question of, is, 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 you know, it's kind of a, uh, I think there's a philosophical component to it, you know, what, what is reality? And you can almost argue that there is, there's reality, then there's perception. And, the point to kind of illustrate that what I would I just said is two people standing next to each other witness the exact same event in the same time and the same space and have two completely different interpretations or reactions of what they just witnessed and how that impacts them. So we all have, uh, an individualistic orientation of how we perceive the world and what therapy is cognitive therapy is aims to do is identify the dysfunctional thoughts that are perpetuating the the choices that we make that we don't make the actions that we take the actions that we don't take the directions that we move our lives in that's the behavior. And I think one of the scariest things for a lot of people to realize is what they have believed or what they have been taught, what they have known, what they cling to, that that may be wrong. And that can be incredibly scary Uh because we hold our belief systems close to our heart. Why do you think they say never talk about religion and politics? And I've, I've been in those conversations. I should have shut my mouth probably. Um, but I'm the extrovert. Julie's the introvert. So, um, but, you know, the world changes because people disagree. And healthy disagreement is a positive thing. And this is this is definitely my my mother's influence on my life to go out in the world and to change it and that rules are suggestions and um that that's just my own disposition and, and personality but you know changing thought patterns is not as hard as you think and 
you know, identifying, and if you go back to the episode I did on the irrational beliefs or mistaken assumptions, I think there's 17 that Robert Leahy identifies, and there's these really, I mean, we all do it, myself included, we all do these things, it, but when it gets to a point of now something hurts and I need to talk to somebody, um, and if we just say is something is not, not, not to, be, you know, minimize, but if we just take something as, as straightforward as depression, as, the, as, as just a unified construct, you know, what are the mindsets of, um, you know, a depressive person? I'm not worthy. I am unhappy. I am hopeless. I am unlovable. Um, those are kind of, it's kind of the, again, in a general sense, the, the, the cognitive, cognitive mindset of depression and are those healthy thoughts? Not really. Are they adaptive thoughts? No. Are they going to perpetuate the depressive state without changing? Yes. But to just simply say, well, don't think like that. I think sometimes people who don't do therapy or have not been a part of therapy, it's not that simple at all. What you want to do is look at, help somebody understand what is the evidence for that thought and to contradict that. This is what's called cognitive restructuring, changing the way people think. So that's kind of like my little introduction. I'm going to let Julie kind of pop on and give her take on, you know, CBT. Hi, I'm going to give you, I, I know I've mentioned this uh, gentleman before, Dr. Wayne Dyer, uh, he, he's deceased, um, but he, um, he did a lot of work around what I believe is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, you know, his theory was, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I do agree with Cor about the everything starts with a thought. This is what all of these, uh, like uh, Gabby Bernstein, all these people that are out there doing like positive thought processes, like you pay very close attention to what you think about, because what you think about is what is manifested. And and you have to be kind of mindful about that. But I'm not going to go into anything esoteric, but his uh, CD collection, I know I date myself, uh, or it's available on Spotify or any platform. Dr. Wayne Dyer, uh, Excuses Be Gone, is one of the best the best series I've listened to in, in decades. Um, I listen to it in the car. Uh, <clears throat> I, you know, I used to listen to it on my way to work and on my way home, and it was the perfect thing to listen to, to kind of reset, to set my, my uh, you know, to set my mind and heart for the day, um, you know, kind of like uh, how we talk about... Um, St. Francis of Assisi, God help me be an instrument of your peace. Instead of being like, oh, God, I got to go to work today. No, I get to go to work today. So that's like one example of, of <clears throat> a very specific, but a very, uh, it, it's kind of like changing from a state of uh, frustration or, you know, being overwhelmed into a state of gratitude. And I think that that really is the, the essential part of it. And um, I do agree also with, you know, two people, families, you know, family therapy is pretty uh, difficult to navigate, but you have to really specialize in it because 
one event can happen in five different members of the family experiencing experience, their perceptions are very different. Um, I've experienced that in my own family as well um, and with colleagues and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but the most important thing I feel like uh, needs to be, as Cora had mentioned before about the efficacy of the therapy and medication, um, being the best route for treatment, um, I do agree with. Um, I find that in my own practice, if someone is not engaged in therapy, now people sometimes with ADHD, sometimes they need like kind of a, a coach, like an executive functioning coach, um, instead of a therapist or a therapist that can help with executive functioning. Um, they're not necessarily working on or have been diagnosed with any other, you know, uh, mental health issue. Uh, so those, those, that population doesn't really so much need that kind of, you know, talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy as much as others. And so I work a lot with people with ADHD and have uh, dual diagnosis. Um, it, it's very often bipolarity, um, personality disorders, uh, generalized anxiety. Um, if it's not bipolar, it's depression, uh, major depressive disorder, and uh, PTSD, panic. <clears throat> For the most part, that's that's generally what I treat now. Um, I used to deal with a much more chronic population, whereas like sometimes people who have schizophrenia have a difficult time in therapy. Um, because their thinking is very abstract. And um, it's almost better, and this is how I was trained, is with someone with schizophrenia, you kind of like don't want to get into this like uh, kind of a, you want to keep it as concrete as possible. That's, the, that's, what, that's what I learned. Um, and talk therapy and feelings and all that stuff doesn't, necessarily wind up being super helpful. And that, again, is not across the board. Um, there are definitely people who have schizophrenia that probably do very well in therapy. Um, I'm just expressing my perspective. Um, <clears throat> most importantly, though, I feel like the biggest message I can send to people, and this is across the globe, um, anyone can call me and ask me questions. Um, you know, you'll call CORE. CORE puts this his phone out there and usually we're together when people call. Um, and I chime in, you know, if I, if I feel like I, I could be useful. <laughs> What's so funny? You just flitter about <laughs> <laughs> whatever. So anyway, what really I think is important is to educate people about the medications and what they do exactly what they do to the brain chemistry. I'm not going to get into all that, but I do believe that in psychiatry and in, in the field of psychology, um, very often you get people, you know, who come to you and they've already been over-medicated. And this is not to criticize everybody medicates differently in psych. There's no protocol. Everybody has their own favorite medications that they prescribe for different um, ailments. But it's very important that clients know, patients, clients know what they're taking, why they're taking it, right? And that if it's major depression, if it's anxiety, you don't necessarily have to be, if, if it's not treatment resistant, you, you, 
you don't necessarily have to be on medications every day. Uh, for the rest of your life, I mean, yes, every day, but not for the rest of your life. Getting back to that, sometimes it's really hard for people to work in therapy without being medicated. And that is what I'm going to talk about a little bit right now. It's sometimes people, when they go into a, a practitioner's office and they're completely overwhelmed, their symptoms are overlapping, we don't have a precise diagnosis diagnosis and even if we do symptoms are often overlapping so like I said us we get an hour with somebody we don't necessarily always have clients with neuropsych evaluations although it's sort of trending that way now thankfully um, but you know it's very important to help calm the symptoms down in other words anxiety people have a very difficult time talking about you know whether they have a traumatic history uh, if it's PTSD if it's generalized anxiety it can be very very difficult to it's fine it can be very very difficult to um, to do therapy if someone's not on medication because medication what it does is it give, it gives you kind of like this not indifference so much as this distance be between yourself and your emotional feeling emotionally saturated. So, like antidepressants do this, um, they actually give people room so that they feel less consumed with emotions, so that they can actually work in therapy because they're not oversaturated. So, that is why I believe the medications and therapy works, and that's how it works the best. The other factor is <clears throat> if you get, you know, these these um, mental health issues in remission. Um, so that's a whole other episode. But, you know, depression can go into remission. And then people can come off their medicines for the most part, at least try. Uh, anxiety is curable. It's fixable. But also anxiety is healthy. So it's when anxiety is becoming fundamentally, you know, uh, What's, what am I looking at? Maladaptive, yeah. Um, but the most, the, I think also the most important thing to stress here is if you are just seeing a medic, medication provider, right? Maybe you don't know specifically what your diagnosis is. We're, yes, we can be diagnosticians, not to the degree of neuropsych evals, of course, it's not our lane. Um, but we can, if we do a proper history, we can get some semblance of a diagnosis. Sometimes the writing's on the wall. Um, <clears throat> but if that's the case, then, you know, it's very, very important to have a, a cognitive behavioral therapist. A lot of people advertise that they do it and that they've been trained in it. Um, I think that that is probably true. I think most people are doing cognitive behavioral therapy. I know that there are people who do, you know, EMDR for trauma. Uh, and there are people who definitely believe in dialectical behavior therapy. But coming back to the point is, when you're in therapy, and when you have a medication provider, it's so important to have them collaborate, not in a talk behind your back sort of way, but in kind of like a collaborative relationship between you and your providers. So Here's why. The reason is, is that if providers don't talk, um, 
sometimes clients will just be fixated on just medication. So they'll come and talk to me about the medication piece, but I don't necessarily know what's going on in their lives, you know, to, to a great depth because I only have 30 minutes or less for follow-ups. So I have one hour, I get the history, and then I have a follow-up. That's pretty much how psych works. Sometimes I used to see people every 15 minutes when I worked for an agency. Um, but but that's where that's managed healthcare. You know, just can, how many? Can I add on to yeah. like um, one of the benefits of you know we we work together and I do see a few people for therapy. Like I could I could speak to that. And I think that one of the advantages is because we are able to cover the three major disciplines of testing and therapy and medication. It's tremendously helpful. Uh, you know, I to be able to communicate with Julie with with mutual patients because we avoid, especially when you're dealing with like borderline, you you avoid splitting, and you you can communicate and you have a unified approach. And that's not always the case, but definitely uh, having a relationship with a provider. And I'm I'm talking to my role of somebody doing just cognitive therapy. Not testing is I I, I agree with Julie a hundred percent. That it's really beneficial because um, we should both be hearing the same thing. So when I, prior to me becoming a prescriber, I was a therapist. And I worked on a partial day program, a a couple of them, McLean and also Pembroke. And um, what I realized is how important therapy and therapists are. And I really have a very, um, I really love the collaborative approach because I was a therapist before and I have a deeper understanding of what that entails. Now I do medications, but I don't have an hour with all of my clients like therapists do 45 minutes to an hour. We are not allowed to have that much time unless it's private pay. Well, private pay is really not reality. I mean, there are some people who can afford lots, throw lots of money. Some people prefer not their insurance companies not know what's going on with them in their mental health life. But um, having said that, it is that's the core of treatment. This is what I'm talking about. It is we have many therapists that we refer people to, they're all amazing and med providers. If you can determine or delineate, I can't believe I'm saying delineate. Um, if you can, <laughs> if you can delineate what is a therapy issue, and what is a med issue. Because if you just have a medication provider, and you have X amount of time with that medication provider, and you don't have the context of this other professional, uh, including the client, then you're going to be you very well could be throwing meds at something that is not medicatable. It means people want to feel better and they want to feel better yesterday. Okay. So there's always that vibe. It's like, it, we're not coming to the, the space saying they've already waited six months for an appointment, right? They've already maybe fired a previous provider because they didn't feel like they were being heard, which happens a lot. Um, and, you know, people sometimes don't aren't educated about the medications they're, be, they're being given. And the, again, I'm sure a lot gets lost in translation that first hour you're speaking with a healthcare provider. I mean, how many people forget like five things that they want to talk about with them? I do it myself. So um, I'm just saying 
there's it's a rhythm, it's a harmony. If you if you do it right and you can get, you know, encourage your providers to talk to one another um, because, you know, it's super helpful for med providers to know that context. Well, you know, you didn't know, but, you know, so-and-so's father died or, you know, something like uh, they lost their job or, you know, they just broke up or, you know, it could be a whole host of things, but, um, you know, just like some, a bad marriage or family, you know, stuff that we don't often get to that sort of topic or fallings out with friends. You know, we don't, again, comes back to time frame. How much time do we have with somebody? We don't. So mostly I'm doing med check, med check, a lot of psycho ed, a lot of supportive counseling, um, and, you know, hygiene stuff. So, but it's really invaluable. It's, it's nice to know that I can push back on a client and say, you know what? I agree with you. I, I hear that you're feeling really anxious right now, but you know, you wanted me to collaborate with your therapist and we are. And so what do you think about your therapist is kind of on, you know, on this wavelength, what do you think about that? And like kind of not in a, Oh, well, your therapist told me, so you, you know, you're not going to be like that. You're going to be more inclusive and, um, and compassionate. And I find that more often than not, and I would say 95% of my clients always will sign releases for me to speak to their, their therapists. They, they want that. I think it's a relief for them. Um, especially if it's handled right. But yes, borderlines, we work with borderline personality disorder all the time. And it is curable if there's insight. Um, and there's a level of discomfort in which this person really wants to get better. Um, and with borderline personality and the personality disorders in general, there's a lot of splitting. So uh, that's another reason to collaborate, because that's just the nature of that personality. Um, it's it's to split. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about splitting. A lot of people don't know what that is. Okay, well, it's interesting how we segued this podcast from starting with cognitive behavioral therapy to splitting. But splitting is something that is very common uh, in borderline personality. And remember, borderline is about psychological survival. And I've done a lot of episodes on that. I'm not going to get into all the specifics because <clears throat> I'll be talking for hours. But splitting is very common, and it's 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 really um, telling one person one thing and then telling somebody another thing. And a lot of that is uh, because they're navigating for psychological survival. And um, if, you know, they can easily turn. Again, I'm, I'm just generalizing by using they and borderline. But splitting is really... Um, it's it's almost like gossip, you know. I'm gonna, you know, patient may tell me one thing and tell Julie something else, totally different. But a lot of it all has to do with the with with psychological survival. So having cohesion and collaboration, in my perspective, is is definitely crucial in treating borderline personality. Julie's eating a protein bar, so I. Um, <laughs> But but the efficacy again of, of 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 psychotherapy is it's it's work and it's hard and you know psychotherapy with me is I'm very direct I, I use much more of a rational emotive cognitive therapy approach. Uh, 
I, I, I've, I've prefaced this and I, and I tell people that, you know, um, you think of this as, uh, I'm, I'm your, I'm a GPS. Yeah, we need to plug in the, like a GPS, you plug in the destination. Okay. Uh, I will be with you every step of the way. And if we need to recalculate like a GPS does, because there's a roadblock, fine, we'll recalculate. But I cannot and I will not drive the car. And there's a level of accountability with cognitive behavioral therapy that you have to do the work. This isn't about, this is not touchy-feely therapy. This is not, and I'm sure there are people who... who it's not it, coffee talk it, therapy. Therapy. This is not, you know, you know hey, we watched the last episode, you know, how was the last episode of Stranger Things? And then, then 30 minutes later, you're done? No. And I practice more of an unorthodox style because I'm very goal-directed, goal and many people don't have goals. They just keep showing up every week, and I ask them, what do you talk about? Uh, I got a, she got a new cat, or... That's right, role-play therapy, and cognitive therapy is about Why? And people say, oh, I don't know. No. And you think about it, you, you help people stop. And almost, it's almost like if you watch it, it's, it's like putting a movie in slow motion, watching frame by frame, and getting the person to stop and paying attention to your motivation. Independent of whether you keep making the same choices or the same uh, maladaptive behaviors, I tell people, don't, do not worry about that. You can't change something until you first notice it and become aware. And that's what Julie says. That's where the level of insight is like, oh, geez. I, and if I just use borderline, it's like I, every time I write this text, it's because I'm afraid they're not going to like me anymore. So you're slowing the th person down. It's not necessarily mindfulness, but in a way it is. It's just becoming more aware and getting, you know, because we, we live in this very automatic, uh, habitual. habitual pattern of, of how we go through life. And then starting to slowly change behaviors and it doesn't happen overnight. And that's, that's you know, like, like with Julie, people think the meds are going to work overnight. No, they don't. Uh, some, but like, like ADHD meds, but uh, it, it, it's really... It's really about cognitive restructuring. It's looking at what are the what are the maladaptive thoughts that are perpetuating the behaviors and resulting in a person being in this specific mood state. Um, there are, like Julie said, there are some you know ADHD can help people with just building skills and learning organization. Um, some disorders are don't have don't you know they, they can be a lot can be put into into remission, but. Uh, it, it cognitive therapy is, is 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 proven. It is it is effective, but it really does not have anything to do with emotions. Um, and I tell people, I mean, I'm not going to ask somebody. Like Julie said, well, how did you feel about that? I would never ask that question. I said, why did you think that? Why did you do that? And, and bringing people always back to the why and into, into the concrete, uh, you know, and looking for the evidence. I don't always ask people how they feel about something. Well, you just said that right now. You said, "Well, no. how do you, how did you how they make you feel?" And why do you always bring up the the woman who buys a cat, who gets a cat? It's just, always the woman I who gets hear, a cat just, for therapy. I don't get that. Um, <clears throat> so, I think that the the most important walkaway message is yes, therapy is not done technically in session. Yes, it is done in session, but it's mostly in between. There's, there's homework. There's, you know, that 
that is the most important thing that people do when they actually engage in therapy. That's what it is. And it's, um, I don't want to speak more about therapy, but it is definitely a good thing to have on board with someone you feel comfortable with, um, but also challenges you and in a safe way. If you have a therapist and things aren't going right or you're not feeling vibes, it's always worth talking to the therapist about it because sometimes therapists don't know. You know, we're people. I've had that experience before as a therapist, you know, just uh, let me know what's happening, you know, and, and, and it can, instead of just breaking up, not to break up, but firing somebody and moving on to the next person, you got to start from square one. It's, it's, and you know, sometimes it's just very bad fit, but that that piece of information can from the therapist to the prescriber can really help someone not become over-medicated for the wrong reasons. And I include bipolar in this as well. People who have struggle with bipolar disorder, they also have, they also need cognitive behavioral therapy, but because when their mood states change and they change at a rapid, not at necessarily rapid rate, but it happens very quickly from manic, mania to depression and the depression's pretty deep and it's something would you say it's worse than bipolar um, major depressive disorder the bipolar depression yeah it's much darker so so you're you're dealing with someone who in fact has a, a brain chemistry that is like a it's like a roller coaster that they're on that just doesn't stop it is not mood driven but it affects mood. So it's not about what triggered you into that state. It's chemical. So the chemical state, and and if you're a human being and you have this issue, this mental health issue, it's really scary and it's really, really hard. And it, and it makes people feel really helpless. Like they have no control over it. Well, that's why medication helps. But Therapy also is essential in that because it's going to help prepare people for that next state and what to expect from that next state. What can I do to make that next state a better experience? What can I do differently? You know, what like, mania. It's very hard to, to treat mania, obviously, because people are in a state of there's not a lot of insight. Uh, there's a lot of revving energy. And it's not very easy to talk to people when they're in a manic state um, because they're just not really hearing you. However, if, if you know, you have family members, this is where, you know, the families get involved. And it usually is the family that gets involved if it's not the law that gets involved. And these poor people who struggle with this is- these issues, it's devastating. Um, but if you have proper medication and proper treatment oh my god i mean i've i've worked with i don't even know how many people have had bipolar disorder and they can totally lead wonderful lives you know i mean it's just a matter of not throwing your meds in the trash when you're feeling great and that happens with major depression that's why i always tell people you've got to get into remission everybody throws their meds away when they feel good so once you feel good you throw your meds away no because the chances of you getting a relapse a relapse and being 50% worse, you have a 50% chance of relapsing. So, and it could be worse. So that, that's the reason why I often tell people about their remission. And therapy is just, cognitive behavioral therapy, I think is the best therapy out there. 
again, I'm just going to mention two things. Dr. Wayne Dyer, excuses be gone. Give it a whirl. I think you'll really enjoy it. I think it'll make sense to you. I feel like that is my cognitive behavioral therapy. I think you, I, I recommend it to most of my clients. Um, and we did an episode on excuses be gone. Yeah, and he's he's he has other ones. I'll mention another time, but I don't want to bog you down with a lot of things. But the other two is honoring dialectical behavior therapy because Core is anti-dialectical behavior therapy, and I'm not. So I think I think both therapies are very relevant, um, and I believe in dialectical behavior therapy as well. So. What I wanted to uh, share with you, I might have thrown it out there last episode or maybe the episode, I don't even know when I did but or if I did, but it's uh, DBT for Dummies. Um, it's written by uh, Dr. Jillian Galen and Dr. Blaise Aguirre. Um, both work at McLean at the Borderline uh, Personality Unit. Um, and uh, I, they're colleagues of mine. Um, but that... I think would be, I haven't looked at it. I plan on looking at it myself because I think I want to kind of learn from that. It's just perfect for, they, they made this book, they um, wrote this book for the public um, so they can have a better understanding of what dialectical behavior therapy does and, um, and Marshall and all that stuff. But anyway, uh, and lastly, please check out our Instagram page. Um, I'm trying very hard to uh, help the wild horses. I know I keep saying it. I'm not going to keep getting into it emotionally with you, but um, I think if you could just take a few minutes to write to the president, or the, I will I will show you links on Instagram how you can just very quickly tap on this, sign a petition to stop these roundups, and... Um, and pass the safe act so that no, no animals will be sold for slaughter or auction. Um, anyway, particularly wild horses. So thank you for listening to me on that end and God bless you all. It's always wonderful to chat with you. Feel free to reach out. Um, we're always really pretty much here to help you. We usually get back to people within a 20, 24 to 48 hour period. So, and if you have any questions, please ask. We, I love getting questions, and I'm happy to help people with that. But again, you know, we're not treating anybody out here, but we're just trying to provide some psychoeducation and um, to deliberately try to destigmatize mental illness. All right. Well, so I guess we kind of segue this episode, uh, but I think it was necessary. I wanted to really kind of focus on cognitive therapy, um, and I did in the beginning, but I think, you know, Julie's point, uh, you know, basically this whole topic is about therapy and medication, which is, like I said, has been proven to be the most efficacious intervention in conjunction with each other uh, for the treatment of the vast majority of disorders, if not all of them, in the, in the, in the DSM. Um, so... Uh, you know, therapy is work. It's not easy. 
I tell people you should feel more confused when you leave your therapy session than when you walked in because you're getting you're starting to think. And the behavioral changes, they will take place and it takes time. And if you fall, you get up. And if you fall, you get up and you keep going. But, um, you know, with work and with, with time and with uh, a good clinician, and yes, I am certainly partial um, and biased towards cognitive therapy. It was my training. That is my background. Um, I enjoy the work I do with the few people that I have, but uh, like Julie said, neuropsych evals, even doing therapy, they're so invaluable because I there's there's no way that I would ever know stuff about a person without having information from a neuropsych eval, especially when you get to the Rorschach or the MPI or other assessments. It just it, it just gives you so much more information to work with. It is stuff that would never generally come up in an hour session or a 45-minute session. So uh, I will. It's kind of my message every week is get a neuropsych eval, and I'd be happy to talk to you guys about that process um, and look forward to the people who are coming from all over the place to see me the next few weeks or months. But um, until next time, uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Do not give away your peace to anyone. Um, you can get a hold of me at uh, Psychology Unplugged at Outlook.com. You can contact me through Psychology Today. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Psychology underscore Unplugged underscore. And you can even contact me directly at 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. I will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys.